Hey everybody, Pierre Quinn here, and you're listening to episode 141 of the Leading Wild Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by my sales coach, Sarah May Dickinson, and we have a great conversation about sales and systems. Now, before we jump into that conversation, I want to thank you for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast as this is the first episode of 2021. Now, I know 2020 was absolutely crazy, but we stuck it out. We hung in there together as leaders on this journey. And I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast, for sharing it, for rating it, reviewing it, wherever you listen to podcasts, for letting your friends and family and other leaders know about what we do here on the Leading Wild Green podcast and our support for leaders like you. Now, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by my new leadership course, Four Nights to Clarity. That's right. My new leadership course is entitled Four Nights to Clarity. And I designed Four Nights to Clarity to be a leadership workshop and tutorial that was designed to empower you to experience even greater clarity on your leadership journey. I called it Four Nights to Clarity simply because as leaders, you know what it's like sometimes to be up late trying to figure out what to do next. You're looking for a blog post or a YouTube video, or you're thumbing through a book to try to get some insight or perspective. And I recorded this course to give you something to study and leverage on those nights where you just can't sleep. So Four Nights to Clarity is really designed for you to walk yourself through your own executive leadership VIP day. There are four modules that will guide you through reflecting on 2020, recognizing the state of your union, emphasizing what you need to bring to the leadership table and helping you to resolve to keep going. So it's an incredible course. I recorded it live with my easel pad in front of a live virtual audience and I know you're going to enjoy it. And you can check that out at prcquin.com slash clarity. That's prcquin.com slash clarity. One of the resources that I chose to invest in during the fourth quarter of 2020 was a sales coach, someone to help me with my sales process, to help me with sales funnels, someone to help me with the perspective and outlining in detail what I do as a company. And I found Sarah May Dickinson, and she has been an amazing, amazing sales coach. Now, Sarah Mae Dickinson is a sales coach for individuals looking to further their career or business, regardless of industry. Sarah has spent the last 15 years in sales of all kind, and she brings that experience to the clients who are looking to learn new skills for everyday life. Sarah focuses on teaching people and organizations how to create and implement more effective sales processes to increase and automate overall sales and productivity for their business while creating more freedom in their life. Here's my conversation with my sales coach, Sarah May Dickinson. I'm excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Sarah May Dickinson. Sarah, thanks for being my guest today. Hello, Pierre. I'm happy to be your guest. Now, this is a little awkward for me, just, <laughs> just a little bit, because usually when we, we get together on Zoom calls, it's a lot different uh, mm-hmm. because you're, you're coaching me. But I get the opportunity now to talk to you uh, about your work and your journey. So I'm excited about this conversation today. 
yeah, usually it's you in the hot seat. So this is a little, <laughs> a little bit different for us where you're asking me the questions. I'm usually like, where's your homework? How's this going? What's happening? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And it's been, fa- it's been fantastic by the way. So even though I cringe sometimes when I have to show my work and, and explain my assignments. It's, it's, it's been a good journey so far. So I'm ex- I am grateful for, for your work. Well, you're a very good student. So I don't you ever worry. I know you kind of cringe, but trust me, you're, you're doing fine. Progress, even in the smallest way, is still always progress. Absolutely. Okay. So let's just dive right in. Give, give us the backstory. I mean, you know, on your website, when you look at your bio, talks about how you were born to a tiny salesperson you were kind of <laughs> built to build and frame to do the work, the incredible work that you're doing now. So give us a little backstory. How was life for you in you know, elementary school, high school, college? Yeah. So I had no idea that you read that page. What a fun fact about you. Um, so uh, hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Mae Dickinson. I am originally from a very small town outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I grew up with two parents who worked outside the nine to five, and I didn't know that was unusual until I married someone who kind of lived much more in the nine to five and didn't know what that upbringing brought. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, which um, for anyone that knows, it's kind of coal country up there. My dad was a coal miner when I was young, and he became a life insurance agent and then a car salesman later in life. My mother um, was a stay-at-home mom, and when my parents got divorced, became a realtor. So I just knew and was around salespeople my entire life. It was kind of like, I guess, a kid who grows up baking cookies with their dad, who is a baker, and then, shockingly enough, they become a pastry chef, right? So I always kind of didn't plan on being in sales. I, I didn't want to do that. But sometimes what's in your blood is a little hard to get away from and hard to to run away from. I was a kid that was super involved. So we lived far out in the country and not really able to walk anywhere or like, you know, get to anything easy. So when I got the chance and my parents were always working. So when I got the chance to um, start to get involved in activities, I basically was involved in every single one that they would let me be involved in. And fell in love with a lot of things, got a lot of really fun experience early on, got my first job when I was 16, which is when you're allowed to do so in the state of Pennsylvania, um, and have literally always had a job since then. When I went to school, I wanted somewhere that gave me a big city experience. I think that was what I was yearning for coming from the country. And I did my undergrad at Penn State University, which is obviously a large institution. There, I got a job my first semester, well, my midway through my first year, working in a place called Lion Line. They are the people that call alumni and convince them to give money to academics over the phone. So I basically did tele-fundraising for five years, um, caller trainer, supervisor, recruiter, the whole thing. And when I was home, I was an assistant manager in a movie theater. So I was a swing manager. Movie theater industry is really interesting because the busy season is kind of what you wouldn't think. It's summers and holidays. So perfect for someone who can kind of come in as a swing person, be a manager when they need it, and then leave when it's slow. So I did those two things in my undergrad, was changed my major multiple times in school, and was planning on law school. But I graduated in 2010, and 2010 was not a great time to graduate 
with an undergraduate degree. It's during a really bad recession. Law school was harder to get into than ever because everyone was going back to school. I wanted to be a DA, which basically makes no money. So taking on a lot of extra debt wasn't really going to necessarily work out. So I decided to go a different direction and was fortunate enough going to Penn State. Had a lot of friends in Pittsburgh, had a lot of friends in Philadelphia. Penn State's in the middle. One of my girlfriends that always already was in Philly had an extra room. So she said, why don't you come live here, find a job? And I said, sure, why not? And I moved there, was fortunate enough to find a sales position because that was the easiest thing that I could translate my skills to with my background already um, with a company called KI Furniture. They're the number one provider of educational furniture in the country. So I specialize in K-12 buildings. I'm obsessed with the way that we build those institutions in this country. We have very old institutions, very old buildings. We stick kids in rows, but expect them to know how to work together, be collaborative, understand STEM, and wonder why they come out on the other side the way that they do. So I got super into it. Worked with schools, local educators, local government, all that kind of good stuff, the architects, and was loving what I did. But I worked for a very small firm that repped KI, and the growth just wasn't really possible. I wanted to move up. I wanted to run my own thing. I don't think I was ever meant to work for anybody else. So I met my husband in 2016. Three weeks later, quit that job, the only job I had had since college, and decided to work for a uh, firm called Sidcor. They create small sales franchises across the country. So large institutions like AT&T, T-Mobile, NRG, they're very, very large. And to hire, train, and retain sales staff of that size is an enormous undertaking. So instead, they hire out companies to create these small sales franchises so that they don't have to deal with it. If they like someone, they keep them on. If they don't, they just have that company leave. So I worked for one of those doing door-to-door B2B sales in Philadelphia, walking in and out of businesses, convincing them to buy Verizon, and um, had a team of about 20 underneath me. Loved it. Super fun. But again, the growth just wasn't moving as fast as I wanted and as fast as it was kind of promised. At that same time in my personal life, my husband and I had gotten married. He got the chance. We had been in Philadelphia for, I mean, I've been there a long time, but he had moved up and been there probably like two years. It's getting really expensive in Philly for anyone that lives in a major city. They know that that kind of has been the trajectory for a while. My husband got the chance to work remote and is from Huntsville, Alabama, where things are a lot cheaper. So when I decided to leave my job and had no form of employment and he had the ability to work from nowhere or from anywhere we wanted, we realized that we could move to wherever we wanted and still have, he could have the same job and I could pursue what I wanted. So we came to Huntsville and my husband turned to me and said, okay, you're the entrepreneur, do it. And I almost had a panic attack because I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) And I was like, okay. Um, As you can probably tell from my life, I'd never not had a job. So I didn't really know what to do with myself after a couple of days. My husband woke up in the middle of the night one night and I was like crying, banging my fingers into my computer, like figuring out what to do. And I found this website called Upwork. Upwork is entirely for freelancers and entrepreneurs. So I jumped on there. I was doing some freelance sales work, which I didn't was kind of a new thing at the time. I didn't even know that existed. 
And one day, a few weeks later, I saw my first posting for a sales coach or a business coach. And I turned to my husband and I was like, I don't understand. Don't people already know those kinds of skills? And I was like, are you kidding me? He was like, no, nobody knows the kind of crap that you've learned over the years. So I took on my first couple of clients for basically zero dollars. And it went from there. That was three years ago. That's now my full-time job. With my experience, I basically have telephone raising, retail, long-term relationship building sales, door-to-door sales, and now kind of everything in between with my clients. So I work with entrepreneurs and freelancers who have either just entered the sales world, maybe they were kind of forced into it and they don't know what that means, or they realize that sales has been a part of their business for a long time and they've never wanted to address it because they didn't know anything about it. Maybe they have a great product or a great skill and they have no idea how to sell it. I teach them the basic, really in the weed stuff, the systems, the actual practices and the actual exercises that help them get comfortable with that. So how often do you come across either clients or, you know, people just that, you know, from, from your network who maybe you could put them in the category of best kept secret from the, from the perspective of they're super good at what they do, but they don't have a framework around actually telling people about, about what they do. And then they wrestle sometimes with the expectation. Well, if you're good enough, people are going to just, you know, show up, show up at your door. How often do you, you come across people who fit into that category? So Pierre, fun fact, that's 99.9% of people. I find that my clients are really skilled. They have fantastic products. They're interesting. They know what they're doing. Um, And I wouldn't even say so much if you're if you're good enough, the clients will come. There's been this big mentality in the last couple of years, and I blame Mark Zuckerberg, but there's been this big mentality in the last couple of years that if you just market enough or you put enough crap on social media, sales will just happen. Um, Not only do you have to be good, not only do you have to know how to market, but you have to know what to do once a lead comes in the door. And I think that's where a lot of people fall apart they have a great product, they have a great skill set, but once that lead gets to them, everything just falls apart and they don't really know why. And that's kind of where I step in. So let's go back to the phonathon days because yeah. you know, I'm familiar with the with the phonathon. <laughs> Very much. It's a good so. time, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, gr- great times. Great times. <laughs> T- talk to, talk to us about, you know, you get your call list and you're making your calls and you finally get somebody on the phone. Yeah. And it's like, hi, my name is Pierre. uh, (laughs) And within 10, you know, five, seven seconds, that opportunity is, is really, Mm -hmm. it's decimated Mm -hmm. how the training and, and coaching that you did with the other students around being great at phonathon, you're still benefiting from the implications of that in all of your sales experience and working with your clients today. Mm-hmm. So Pierre, did you ever play a sport? Uh, intramurals. Okay, great. What yeah. did you play? Basketball. Great. So in basketball, what kind of things do you practice over and over and over again? Uh, everything. Dribbling, shooting, mm-hmm. defense, offense, mm-hmm. plays. Who is it? I think it was either Michael Jordan or LeBron James that said that 
you may be better than me, but you'll never outpractice me. Was he the one that would stand there and shoot free throws longer than you? He would just tire the other people out until they left the building. So in sales, shockingly enough, it's no different. It's just muscle memory. So when you practice those kinds of skills over and over and over again, the reason why a basketball player or a football player or anybody is made to do that over and over and over again is so their brain can't mess it up. It means that your body will react automatically and allow you to perform that skill even when you're not thinking about it, right? When you do something like telephone run, telephone raising or you're working on a sale or your phone, I, I mean, by the time I was all said and done, I could be doing my homework. I could be just shuffling through crap and then just like look up when somebody was on the phone because it becomes muscle memory. Hi, my name's Sarah. I'm a student calling from Penn State. How are you today? I still say it, what is it, a decade, almost 15 years later. So when you practice that kind of like intro rapport setting, those skill sets, whether it's free throws or, you know, throwing a baseball or whatever, it's all the same thing. The reason why you have to do it over and over and over again to the point of it sucking is so that you can't mess it up when that moment comes. Because you're right. When you get that opportunity, you only get about 30 seconds for someone to decide whether you're an idiot or not, basically. So you need to be prepared and you need to not allow your brain and your heart to get in the way of what can be happening. So when you practice that early stuff, it can take out a lot of the panic that goes along with it. Let's talk about the rejection because, because that happened, you know, some of those, some of those, some of the yeah, dicey on the phone or even, yeah. even, you know, in your professional sales career, sure. you come across people who you know, why are you calling me? How did you get my number? Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Just kind of this barrage of stuff. Mm-hmm. And how, do, how do you, how do you coach your your clients uh, out of taking that personally? Because it's mm. like, oh, they've rejected me and I'm, you know, so heartbroken. I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to offer them something good. Mm. How, do, how do you get them to the place where they're taking less of those rejections uh, personally? That's a great question because rejection is incredibly common on the phone. Let's put it that way. Um, And it's also going to be something that you encounter in your business regardless of what you sell. You can be a nonprofit curing cancer and you're going to find people who are nasty and asking you questions that you maybe don't even know the answer to, right? So when we talk about objections, I like to look at objections as gifts rather than something to avoid. Because when you get an objection... It allows you to figure out a couple of things. Number one, what your client actually cares about. So if you're selling a product, let's say like a real objection, if you're selling a product and a client says, well, that price is too high, or I saw the competitor and I really liked this and blah, blah, blah. That's crap you should know, right? Like that's stuff you want to know from your clients because it means that we want to be aware of it and prepare for it in some way. And that brings me to the other part of objections. We pretend like objections are just this like insane thing that hits us in the face and it's such a shocker. 99% of objections we can prepare for. Yes. You are going to get those random people that are like, how do you get my number? Totally fine. We'll deal with that. 99% of those though are going to be the same thing over and over again. Your price is too high. I like the quality of someone else. 
How'd you get my information? You know, like those kinds of things are going to be the same thing over and over again. So that being said, it goes back to the muscle memory. We know it's coming. So let's prepare an answer that allows you not to take it personally. How'd you get my number? You know what, sir? I'm actually just a student here at Penn State calling on behalf of, you know, blah, blah, blah. We actually get that in the system because you graduated with us and we like to make sure that our alumni are really happy and are getting everything that they need. And I see you've given us to, uh, to us before. So I just wanted to reach out and see if we could get some help with that again tonight. As simple as that. You're not angry at me. You're angry at the system. So we can prepare ahead of time. We can have an automatic answer that's muscle memory. That's going to allow your heart to not get involved and give the objection and move on with that conversation. Let's talk about systems. Yeah. Because you'll find people that says, you know, Sarah, you, you know, you don't get it. I'm a free spirit. And I kind of like to, you know, I fly by the seat of my pants and I just, you know, make it happen spur of the moment. And Mm -hmm. when I'm in the moment, it flows and it's good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why do I need to develop around a system around handling objections and a system around, you know, even tracking the people that I'm reaching out to a system around creating content. Why do I need all of these systems? It aren't the systems really stifling my creativity. Yeah. Yeah. So I love free spirits. I think that free spirits should fly. And I think that most salespeople, which by the way, everyone is a salesperson. So most people have a free spirit within them somewhere. And I want to help you make that free spirit shine. What I don't want is that free spirit and that feeling and that thought and that like, you know, off the cuffness to have to come out when you're introducing you and your product. Like that's so stupid. Let's let that free spirit come out when you're giving some amazing speech on inspiration or you're in your office and you're coming up with great new bold ideas for next year. Like, Channel that free spirit into times where it's actually going to help you really grow your business and get you that big picture stuff and make you that money or write that book or do all those things. Don't waste it on crap like, hi, my name is like, we should be able to memorize the systems that make it easy and memorize the objections and memorize the things. And I don't mean memorize like you sound like a robot, but muscle memory, some of that stuff so that you can use the free spirit where it's really going to matter. Like, let's use someone who is a strong example. Oprah is, a, I would call Oprah a free spirit. But I'm going to tell you right now that 99% of the crap that Oprah does, including speeches, including interviews, including whatever, is memorized in some way. She is channeling that free spirit into creating the own network into bartering a deal with Weight Watchers, into, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. That channeling of that free spirit is going towards something that allows her to create a bigger legacy and accomplish those big things and getting all the stuff that, you know, doesn't really matter all that much out of the way with the memorization. I read a book not too long ago, Daniel Pink, uh, To Sell It's Human, And Daniel Pink makes this argument that you reiterated just a few moments ago. Daniel Pink makes the argument, everyone is in the sales business. Oh, yeah. Whether you realize it, whether you embrace it or not, everyone is in sales. 
Tell me why you say that and, and which, what's your framework around everyone being in sales, even if it's not a direct sales position? So I think that social media has made this even more apparent, right? Because everyone is on Instagram, everybody's on Facebook. We know that everybody has 99% of humans have a job of some kind. We no longer have the option of not having kind of like a public face to what we are. Because that's what technology has done to the world. And you can ignore that if you want to and pretend like that's not real. But the truth of the matter is you're selling something in your everyday life. Like when you post a picture to Instagram, I know what you do for a living. I know how many kids you probably have. I know what kind of activities you like to do. So if you want to have a better job or help your kids get into certain crap or, you know, go to a certain school or whatever, or you want to be able to volunteer in the stuff that you want to, like there is a presence and a face to all of those things that is sales, right? Whether you want a raise, whether you want to negotiate a better price on the used car you're about to buy, whether you want to be able to, I don't know, uh, have a good experience with the person at the checkout line. Like all of that is sales. And once you realize that you are kind of the director of sales for your own life, you can accept a lot of that more and be able to use it to your own advantage. That's good. Director of sales for your own, for your own life. That's got to be on a t-shirt. You gotta, you gotta put that on a t-shirt somewhere. Maybe that should be the book that I write. <laughs> there's, there's this, this common trap that not just entrepreneurs, but even people in the corporate space get into yeah. and when they're having conversations and even making offerings, mm. we almost like one track minded. Mm-hmm. We don't think of maybe the options or, or, know what's going to happen down the road and you tell this 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 story this analogy of having worked in a movie theater you tell this analogy about how the movie theater makes sure that you get more than just a movie because Mm -hmm. if you just get a movie you know they they don't really make any money and i feel like sometimes as as leaders as entrepreneurs as as people who work in personal development we're all about this kind of one thing get Mm -hmm. this get this training or get this webinar or get this account and we don't open our mind up to the other possibilities that we have to draw people kind of into our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, tell the folks about what you learned from working in the movie theater and then how you teach your clients to apply the same same concept. So I have worked, I've obviously worked in a lot of different environments. The theater business is really interesting because when you think and who in Lord knows what the movie theater is going to look like in the next five years. But the movie theater that we all know to be, um, you go to a place and you buy your tickets, you buy your candy, and you go in and sit and see the movie. The theater industry is fascinating because the actual movie chain makes basically nothing off of the ticket sales. That goes to the thousands of people involved in the movie, the company that produces it, you know, all that kind of stuff. The actual movie theater company, you know, the Cinemark, the, you know, insert word here, the AMC, all this, they make all of their money off of the concession stand. And when you think about a concession stand, there's a lot of things going on. There's candy and there's 
pop. I'm from Pittsburgh, so I say pop. You could say soda, whatever. No, I'm from Michigan. It's pop. It's, <laughs> it's pop. pop. It's pop. It's pop. I don't know what to tell you. It's pop. You get your candy and you get your popcorn, right? Well, candy, think about that. That's owned by other people. So a lot of the money and the profit is going to those folks. So what do you have left at the end of it? You have popcorn and you have pop. The reason, and pay attention to this next time you go to the movies, the reason why you walk up to the counter and they say, hi, sir, can I interest you in a large Coke and a large popcorn today? Is because that is where they make all of their money. The markup on those is astronomical. And perhaps I'm not allowed to be telling people this, but I don't work for anyone anymore. The cost of that large soda to the actual company is like 25 cents. The cost of the popcorn is like maybe 30 cents. So overall, the company, it's costing them 50 cents and you're spending what? I mean, 12, $15 at this point for that. The reason why that happens is not because they're greedy and it's not because they're terrible. It's because they actually aren't making money from anything else in the environment. But if they didn't have all those other things, you wouldn't be walking through the door. So that being said, you want to think about that in your own business, right? It kind of goes to the ideology of pricing, packaging, and what's going on in your retail site. You know, pricing and packaging is a little bit more common for people who do services. And then in your retail site, you can think about that in that space. What is bringing people through the door may be different than where you are making most of your money. You may just be breaking even on the stuff that's bringing people through the door. But the place that you're making money is something you definitely push on advertising and email, chat with people about, because it's still important that you're selling those things. But it may not be the reason that they come to you in the first place. And that's okay. It's just really important to recognize when you're making a pricing structure, a product structure, and a packaging option. To know that in the background and to understand where that's coming from so that you can make the money you want to in order to equal out to the totality of what you want. Listen, that then this podcast is free. Our listeners on the Leading Well Green family don't have to pay to listen to it. But Sarah just gave you like <laughs> that's masterclass worthy material right there. So I hope hopefully you took good notes. And of course, at the end of our conversation, we're going to make sure you get the links to connect with Sarah uh, and learn more about you know the the goodness that she provides as a sales and, and business coach. Uh, Sarah, I want to ask you, why why is it so important for or people of all industries to to really mine their past experiences mm. and bring those skills to bear on what they're doing right now. You talked mm. about uh, the phonathon context. You talked about sales. You talked about movie theater. You talked about you know in the education space and how you're drawing on those experiences. One, why do you think it's why do you think we forget? or don't bring a lot of light on our past experiences? And then two, why is it so important to shed some light and to recall the things that we learned and how they can help us now? So I think that's a really, really good question. And it's not something that I get to talk about a lot, but I consider that what I lovingly refer to as talent stacking. So I think sometimes in this world, we tend to look at our resume like it's very individual crap, like it's very individual steps, it's very individual jobs, it's very individual organizations that we worked for, but that's really not the case. You know, a great example is my husband, and he doesn't know I'm saying this, so oh well. Um, He worked in tech support for like a decade, 
he did some different stuff for Verizon and he did, um, he also has an accounting degree. So he did some accounts payable stuff for several years and he really had no idea what he was going to do with all that. Lo and behold, the company that he works for now, he literally works for point of sale. So the tech side of like credit card readers and stuff, which he's done before point of sale purchasing for a large organization. It somehow, because he worked with a recruiter, they saw all of these talents together and said, oh my God, you can do this job perfectly. That is what I think people should look at and kind of taking the sales out of it, right? Like this is an important lesson for anybody that you deal with. We're talking about January. 2020 was a really rough year for a lot of people. If you're sitting down and saying, I need to figure my stuff out, I need a new direction, or maybe you lost your job or whatever, you need to be looking at your life in the totality of what that story tells people. And that can be true for your elevator pitch. That can be true for your resume. That can be true for interviews. It doesn't matter. But when you look at all of the things that you have done, it's going to tell a different story than if you just look at things individually. And a really good way to do that is stop looking at the titles that you had and the companies that you've worked for and look for at these skill sets that you learned in those jobs, because it's going to allow you to string together a pattern differently than you would otherwise. We're seeing a trend or we've seen the trend for the last few years of regardless of industry, yeah. uh, individuals framing that elevator pitch as a part of yes. their business conversations. Mm -hmm. And I know that was one of the first things that we worked on when I when when I started uh, mm -hmm. the coaching with you is this this how do we frame out what you do? Because, yeah, you know if you don't if we get explain what you do we we have problems. So yeah. why, why is that that important, especially for people maybe in what's happened in the last year or so, been laid off, downturn the economy, trying to figure it all out? Why is it so important, entrepreneur or not, to have that? that pitch statement, that, that overall arching direction statement about what you do and what you offer? So there are very large things that happen in history that kind of affect the group of us together, right? Like I am only 33, but I have witnessed, you know, shootings in high schools, September 11th, the recession in 2010, and now the pandemic. And each individual, one of those things have kind of affected all of our stories in their own way. And COVID is one of those things where it is going to affect the story that you tell people regardless. An elevator pitch is the first thing that you should be working on in life because it's the foundation of everything that you do. That being said, it is also something that you should be revisiting probably every six months to a year, even with COVID out of the picture, because your life changes, your skill set changes, even if you have stayed in the same job or your same business, you've learned more skills, you've had different clients, all that kind of good stuff. So you should be reviewing it no matter what, because that's going to be important. But COVID is one of those things that because it is, it is so rare in life that we have something that affects, you know, September 11th was something that affected everybody in the United States and, and somewhat elsewhere, but mostly just everybody in the United States. This is something that has affected literally everyone in the world. So if you don't address it, people are going to kind of see through that 
and see that as kind of strange. It has had to affect who you are, your job, or your business in some way. So you need to not necessarily mention it in your elevator pitch, but look at your elevator pitch and say, has it changed because of 2020? Am I different now? Are my goals different now? Is my business different now? Is my target demographic different now? That's something I actually see a lot when it comes to elevator pitching is when something like this has happened in the world, maybe it hasn't changed your business or your product, but it may be changing who you're selling to dramatically. So relook at it, understand it, and know that it is okay if COVID has affected it and you want to mention that in some way, because you're not going to meet somebody that doesn't already know that. So look at it and help it reframe you for 2021 rather than kind of be something that you're hiding in the shadows of. You mentioned in, in our conversation the the need to have this elevator pitch, the need to have a, a process around basic information introductions and overcoming objections Yes, as we're, as we're, you know, at the beginning of the year, as we're just kind of taking a look over the landscape as, as entrepreneurs, as executives, as leaders, as individuals, maybe who struggle or don't know where to start with kind of pulling a system together, yeah. what are some other tools or, you know, downloads or apps that you have found with the clients that you work with? have been very, very transformative in getting them up to speed to create systems for themselves? So one of the places that I have people start, particularly if I don't know what industry they're in, or maybe you're not even in sales or something like that, you know, maybe you're just a young leader working at a company and you're like, I don't think any of this crap applies to me. Um, If that's the case, one of the very first places that you can start is twofold. Time blocking your schedule so that you actually have a plan for what you were supposed to be doing during the day. And then in conjunction with that, using something like Toggle to actually track what's happening. And I don't mean that in a, you're stuck in a box, you're tied to your desk, you're, you know, you should beat yourself up if it doesn't work. I mean that in the sense that time blocking means that you have a plan and Toggle or tracking that time in some way tells you if that plan worked. And allows you at the end of the week to say, okay, did I actually plan for everything that I needed to? Oh, wait, let me add this thing or add that thing or take away this. I don't really need that. And then Toggle allows you to say, you know what? I didn't get to these three things. What happened? Or in my case, sometimes I find out things that I thought took a half an hour take three and stuff that I thought took three take one. So it allows you to plan and then track what's happening. And that's where I would start for anybody because it's a very basic system that is applicable no matter what industry you're in or if you're in sales or not. Sarah, I call this section of the podcast shameless plug time. Oh, great, great. Shameless plug time. <laughs> so give us you know, what URLs, what are social media handles? Is there a okay. coupon code? Whatever it is, mm-hmm. how can we get in contact with you, find out more about your work and possibly work with you? So uh, super easy. My website is sarahmaydickinson.com. My preferred social media is Instagram. It is at SMD Coaching. I will make sure that's all in the notes. And because we talked about our elevator pitches, I'm going to go ahead and include a free downloadable to help you write that elevator pitch. So if you're starting at the beginning of the year and you're like, oh my God, 2020 was terrible 
And yes, you're right. I do need systems, but I don't know what that looks like. You know, start with the calendar, start with tracking your time and start with your elevator pitch. And it's really going to help you directionally to even understand where you want the year to go and help you see what's happening. My guest on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast has been Sarah Mae Dickinson. And I'm not saying she's a good person just because she's my sales coach. <laughs> but she's good at what she does. And we're going to put some links in the show notes so that you could be one click away and have no excuse uh, in reaching out to Sarah. We want to make sure that it's just one click away. So, Sarah, thanks so much for being my guest today. You're welcome. It was a lot of fun. Great conversation with my sales coach, Sarah May Dickinson, about the systems needed for success, no matter what you're selling. We dropped some links in the show notes so that you can learn more about her and her work, and you can reach out to her at sarahmaydickinson.com. Now, remember, this episode is sponsored by the Four Nights to Clarity Leadership Course. Take four nights and gain incredible leadership clarity to carry you through 2021. You can learn more about that course at prcquin.com slash clarity. That's prcquin.com slash clarity. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.